This is the Epilogue Audio Experience. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of the SOS show. I'm your host Suchita and thanks for tuning in. And we are again trending amidst the top shows of Apple Podcasts thanks to our listeners. So guys, uh, also help us here. Go and rate us uh, on Apple. This will help us reach more people. So continuing our conversation on mental health, you know, I've always wondered about, you know, what is the kind of impact that gets generated when you do a podcast on mental health, when you write a book on mental health, when you are working in an NGO space and you're trying to create a difference when it comes to mental health. So all these questions I actually put forward to our guest today who has written uh, books on mental health and her new book is coming out. Our guest for today is Amrita Tripathi. Amrita, of course, is an award-winning journalist. She's a former TV news presenter. She's a published author who works in social media. She is also the founder editor of the healthcollective.in, which is an online repository for conversations around mental health. And in Listen India, she's written two novels, Broken News and The Sibius Knot, which focus on some of the darker sides of urban realities and is co-authoring a three-book non-fiction series on mental health in India, which are real stories of dealing with depression that came out last year featuring nine first-person stories and young mental health is a title that comes out now in a couple of days hi amrita welcome to our podcast the sos show and thank you for joining in how is it going there in delhi oh it's not too bad at all i think um we're all getting used to this supposed new normal <laughs> so thanks for checking in and thanks for having me on sure so you know i'm really excited about your next book coming out uh, on mental health which is young mental health i think it's due for the coming month or the month end that's right uh, so we have an ebook coming out uh, june 12th fingers crossed mm-hmm. and the physical mm-hmm. copies should be ready um the end of the month so that that is and- exciting and you already uh, have released uh, one book on uh, mental health which is real stories of dealing with depression which came out last year that's right so you know this took off from some of the interviews we had um, featured on the website the health collective mm-hmm. and uh, we sort of built on those the publisher simon and schuster india was interested in commissioning um, a sort of multi part series so we've committed to doing three books in this series mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, i am co- co-authoring them uh, with different psychologists so the first one was with arpita anand uh, mm-hmm. and the second book on young mental health is with uh, meera haran alva who's based in bengaluru and mm-hmm. uh, then i have the third one on anxiety which awesome. will be co-authored with uh, kamna chibber so you know very topical i think because we're finally seeing more conversations around mental health and illness in india as well absolutely and where are they available where can the readers find them Uh so we have um, the first book is in stores already and uh, in bookstores and uh, of course on Amazon and uh, online um they can be ordered online uh, mm-hmm. young mental health will definitely share more as it's up but again it's releasing first as an ebook uh, so it should be available on Amazon for the Kindle and then uh, make its way you know to physical bookstores so definitely hope to share more on that uh, as we come to the end of the month as well absolutely and amrita you are the founder editor of the health collective which is the healthcollective.in which is an online repository for conversations around mental health and illnesses in india so yeah. so tell me amrita what made you start the health collective ah uh, that's a good question uh, so suchita you know it was uh, actually 4 years ago uh, mm-hmm. in july 2016 that i set up the health collective as a website initially i thought i would uh, have listings Uh, or just be a place where people can find contact information for you know who to reach out to when they needed help 
And uh, the the sort of immediate trigger for that was that somebody had posted actually on Twitter. um, This was somebody I didn't know except online uh, that a friend Mm -hmm. of his feeling uh, quite desperate and needed to talk to somebody in Mumbai. Mm. And uh, I saw the message, you know, I just saw the tweet a couple of days later and I, I reached out to say, I'm sure, you know, somebody's, uh, you know, sent you some resources by now, but just checking in. And I was quite appalled that, you know, actually they hadn't found anyone uh, to speak to yet. Uh-huh. So, we, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. this is, you know, upper middle class privilege. Yes. Uh, movement, yes. Right? And, and mm. so disproportionate, uh, you know, we realized that we should at least have access to uh, public well, uh, helplines um, and list those that are third party helplines that, of course, uh, we check periodically that have been um, that are operational and so on. And then, as you know, of course, many of these are this I call has come up since and has been doing a great job because they've also crowdsourced a document for where people can find help. And I think there's, you know, there's two parts to the, why I set this up. I mean, the smart thing would have been, of course, to wait for a grant or something and get it going. But <laughs> Mm. You know, just seeing the number of people who just don't uh, know that help is available or the mm-hmm. number of myths we still have around mental illness, especially in India, you know, um, mm-hmm. that, that I'd realized as a journalist. So for about uh, almost 10 years at a news channel, I'd been uh, working on the health beat and I became the health yeah. editor. So mm-hmm. I started doing stories as well. And when I would interview uh, you know, some of the best and brightest psychologists and psychiatrists in the country for, for our programming, we realized a couple of things, including the fact that the mainstream media isn't covering, uh, you know, mental health or mental illness um, often enough. And, you know, often it's also not done as responsibly as it should be done. So I felt yes, that this was a huge yes. gap, you know, and um, having access to these uh, experts, I thought I could at least start doing interviews again and, mm. and putting some of these expert columns in place. So that's the sort of uh, sort of professional, rational reason. And I think the personal mm. reason, which I've you know sort of touched upon only a, a few times in the recent past, is that mm-hmm. like many many families, uh, we also have mental illness in our family, and you know yeah. near and dear ones are also suffering. And um, mm. I think our family, we spoke about this a little bit more openly than most, but it's not an easy conversation to have, you know. So I was looking at it from that filter of what can you bring to the table, and mm-hmm. I find it very helpful uh, to actually go through some of the resources people share with us or the stories that they share. Yes. So, Amita, tell me how easy the conversation has become over the last, say, two to three years. Ah, I think there's been, um, there's definitely been a change in the last, Mm. I would say, last few years compared to the last Mm. uh, decade. Yes. Uh, And, you know, thanks to so many people actually uh, who've been working behind the scenes, um, it's Mm. thanks to media attention it's thanks to you know we asked a couple of psychiatrists as well when a celebrity like Deepika Padukone speaks about depression does it help and they said absolutely it does help the more people who speak about it responsibly uh, mm-hmm. the only caveat being that you know you don't want to reinforce uh, the misconception that it, it's only something that affects sort of the well-off you know or the rich and famous it's something mm-hmm. that you know definitely affects uh, every one of us I think what's heartening is that we're seeing people, you know, actually even commissioning a book series, right? I don't think it would have been possible a few years ago. I think that we're hearing um, from people that they are able to at least, uh, this is the optimistic side of me, yeah. <laughs> saying that they're able to at least, uh, you know, at least you and I are having this conversation. I'm not sure we would have yeah. had this, you know, even three, four years ago. Yeah. But yeah. There's, uh, as you know, there's so much to be done. Uh, so I, I do see it as each one of us has a role to play in this, uh, sort of as a community, as a collective. And we have to keep pushing on. Uh, and in English, we've made strides. What about other languages? You know, that there's yes. a lot that needs. Totally. Yeah. So t- tell me, your website is, uh, re- you also have a lot of database, which is a verified da- database is what, uh, you know, I was going through a website I read. So what kind of people are involved in, you know, getting your website and the information together? 
how do you source them out so there's a couple of things um i think one is i pretty early on started worrying about the ethics of you know how you do report how we report how we collect stories what are we doing with this um mm. and i started talking to um s- several psychologists and psychiatrists uh, you know even informally i would say but they kind of uh, they advised me when i reached out to them um and some of them have been involved with the site from the beginning i'm not sure that they really thought it would necessarily <laughs> stay alive mm. for mm. for a few years but they were yeah. very helpful you know dr amit sen of children first uh, who have mm. interviewed you know for more than a decade off and on you know for for, mm. for the news channel i was working for then for the website um he definitely was super helpful and he's been instrumental in uh, the second book we're doing um ratna goloknath is a friend of mine who's also a psychologist and therapist and she gave me very very solid advice or if um so i mean just if i backtrack for a second there are different uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who we reach out to who will feature in interviews or write columns mm-hmm. um and i think that's important because we want to make the information more accessible uh, more conversational you know uh, and mm-hmm. they're usually more than happy to do this um we do try and also share an honorarium with those who uh, you know uh, would like i mean most everybody um mm-hmm. but some of them of course waive that because they just want to be um ensuring that there's freely accessible information for many people and then we have uh, people who started writing it in the beginning who i didn't know who wanted to share um first person accounts so lived experience what we call right um, yes yeah this this started mainly as a voluntary contribution or somebody would reach out and then i would say would you want to share this would you want to share this anonymously uh, or under your own name and then uh, it started building up you know so what's been nice is that it was kind of through word of mouth there was no marketing mm-hmm. money that we spent on uh, that, that really contributed to that but i will have contributors writing in uh, to say that you know i read something a year ago when i was going through a very ba- bad patch and your I, i read something that helped from your website and i want to share my story so you know that kind of thing where it's it just keeps building up mm-hmm. and at one point we were when we were really tracking the metrics quite obsessively uh, you know yeah. at, at, when we we hit 100,000 yeah. 100,000 uniques and i was like this is amazing um yeah. and it just proves that people there is a readership for this right because the first thing wow, is yeah. yeah people will tell you that no one wants to read or anything but it's not true mm. you know i, I think mm. especially with uh, issues like this people are looking for information they can trust mm. um we do need to uh, be careful because again i'm not a therapist i have to keep making this point i, I my training <laughs> is a journalist right so yes. people will reach out for, uh, if they want to if they leave comments or i get emails uh that i'm concerned about uh you know the mental health safety or well-being of somebody even a stranger reaching out then i i immediately check with a uh you know psychologist or psychiatrist what should my response be should i just be sharing the helplines with them you know we need to be careful about these kind of things um mm-hmm. and it's still i think small enough that i can do that on a mail by mail basis or uh, dms or messages or whatever i get um mm-hmm. the the issue though i would point out and I'd, i'd love to get your opinion on the issue though when we're looking at resources uh, or mm-hmm. listing helplines or listing um you know whoever's numbers i put up on there i pretty much checked with at least early days uh, and then we mm-hmm. linked to you know um the i call document that i was talking about earlier yes. which is data institute of social sciences yes. which they yes. crowdsourced it's very yes. you know publicly called out as crowdsourced so you do have to put a disclaimer because you know if you or i pick up the phone and call somebody now one issue is not knowing who to call but two is when you call somebody you might not be compatible with there might be an issue with um i might not have personally been able to vouch for that person it's not scalable to do in one way you know sometimes you do have to crowdsource these lists yes. um um so i'd love to know what you think about that and and the second thing is they're very primarily city you know big city uh, focused right yes, so we've been yes. to see if people can share the suggestions from outside of delhi mumbai uh, you know even kolkata is very poorly represented on my site so i've been asking people to share um 
you know, it, so it does build up through word of mouth and credibility, but we also need to do a little bit more outreach, I think, to get more. Absolutely. No, I totally agree there in terms of, uh, you know, reaching out to the people and the kind of people like who is accessing your information. And uh, so I asked this uh, question in one of the earlier podcasts as well, that who's accessing your data? Is it like mainly the big cities? Is it Mumbai, Delhi only? Or is it also smaller places beyond Mumbai and Delhi? And also, you know, coming to uh, the database plus your book, plus also if I may add the podcast, uh, what kind of people are accessing it? Is it just the top cream who want to know about it? Like your, you know, your A plus cities and how do we reach beyond that? Hmm. That's, that's yeah. another point. So as a book, when you're coming out with a book, is there any sort of strategy where you guys are planning that, you know, we're going to reach beyond Mumbai, Delhi and go to interiors? Hmm. Is it also that's something that the interiors will understand or is it needs to be translated for them? And once we keep going interiors and once we go, keep going villages, toh, mm-hmm. you know, we definitely need more, uh, you know, ways to reach them. Yeah, no, 100%. I, I hear you. I think that uh, what I realized with the first book was that, you know, there is a bigger responsibility here. Um, yeah. So I, I, what I was telling you when we were chatting before this was that, you know, when we did our first book launch and um, all the books actually have multiple contributors. So the first book, uh, you know, it was it was nine first person stories on living with depression. And uh, we had five or six uh, of the contributors there for us uh, for the book launch with us. And as we had the conversation, you know, one or two things uh, stayed with me because, you know, first more than 100 people showed up for the launch, which is great, you know, and, yeah. and unexpected. Um, yes. But the questions we started getting um, uh, and w- one person definitely said it was so helpful to see, uh, you know, a journalist, uh, a government servant, an academic talking about depression because they said that in their head, the uh, we have one image of what depression looks like or what mental illness looks like. You know, these are all stereotypes we build up over time. So yes. it's it, it brought home to me the importance of putting where we can, putting faces uh, and, uh, you know, stories in front of people, right? The importance of creating that kind of narrative where the lived experience is at the heart of it. Um, So some of the conversation was in Hindi and English. Um, One of our contributors, Anand Zanani, spoke in Hindi and English, and he's, uh, he calls himself a small town boy. (laughs) He's, Mm. you know, from between Lucknow, Bhopal, he's of course lived as well uh, and, and, and reported um, in big cities as well. But it, mm. it made a huge difference because, you know, people will reach out to him. People will reach out to those they find accessible. And I think what mm. I've realized, um, I don't have actually the granular data you might be looking for, but um, mm. I have realized that if you seem accessible and non-judgmental, and as we're trying to do, create a sort of safe space, right, for conversations, mm-hmm people will reach out. So we've had folks from, you know, say Jaipur, um, smaller towns, like I was saying, reach out via the message. They don't always want to be, um, you know, named, which I think is perfectly fine. Yeah. I think yeah. we shouldn't also put pressure on people to share their stories if they don't want to. There's a space for all of us in this conversation, you know? Yes, um, yes. So I think that, uh, you know, the, the contributors often laugh and say they hope the day comes when we don't keep calling them brave for sharing their stories. But it is an act of immense uh, courage, you know, because especially yeah. now in India still, even if you look at, uh, you know, urban privileged India, there is so much stigma, you know, people jump to uh, judgment when even despite everything we're all trying to do collectively. So it is brave to share their stories. But I think what's happened is each person who's come up, um, come out with their story will tell me of a ripple effect. So, you know, somebody in government who talking about dealing with depression and continuing in service, um, they were telling us about how multiple people would come and speak to them afterwards. You know, like Anand, as I was saying, as a journalist from a, a not a big uh, metropolitan city would get people reaching out to him and saying, you know, one, you're brave, but two, can you help me understand more? 
And um, just a final point on this, I think that what you said about uh, languages and villages, 100%, we need much, much more. So, you know, as the conversations grow and, you know, there is some amount of momentum building, but just the scope of the issue and what we lack in India in terms of you know, mental health experts, everyone quotes the sort of WHO study from a few, uh, from a few years ago. And, you know, even in the Lok Sabha, there was a reply a couple of years ago, as I was reading in uh, an article by Srivats Nevakia, you know, where they yeah, said that there were yeah. mm-hmm. nearly 4,000, 5,000 uh, psychiatrists, right, in a country that needs so many yes. more. Yes. Uh, increasingly, experts are talking about the need for community-based work or peer counselors. And so, you know, all of this is, it's down to each one of us, right? It's not going to happen magically on its own. But we have to figure out a sort of responsible, ethical uh, framework um, here. So I'm not sure if I rambled on or answered your question. I think, that <laughs> yeah. I think we need to do more in language. So we've started with Hindi, uh, getting some of us mm. from trans. Hindi because one of those uh, people I was mentioning in the launch came up and said, you know, that this book absolutely needs to be in Hindi. So I'm talking to the publishers about that as well. Like what's feasible? Yes. How do we get this out there? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that would be uh, lovely to have a translation as well. So, so tell me Amrita, in terms of your earlier book, real stories of dealing with depression, which is already in the markets, which anybody can access. Just tell me as an author of the book, what was your perception when you, uh, you know, wrote the book? How was your perception of depression? Where are we standing right now? Uh, what are the stories like? Because I'm still to read it. Okay, uh, definitely yeah. hope you get a chance to read it. And yes, I'm going to. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think for me, thanks to the site and thanks to friends who have shared uh, some of their stories with me, I, I still felt uh, a little bit more informed uh, than say somebody's had no exposure. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I, I still think depression is one of those issues that we're starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, at least in English speaking India, to talk about depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, because it's entered the colloquial uh, kind of vocabulary. Yeah. What I wasn't what I wasn't ready for or wasn't aware of, uh, and a couple of the people who shared their stories, um, speaking so openly about, you know, things like suicidal ideation, which of course we should put a trigger warning right now for anyone listening and uh, mention that there are very clear, you know, help is available. There are helplines across the country who, who are willing to listen, professionally trained uh, folks. I wasn't aware that how big of a challenge this is, because if you think about even, you know, my generation, we're having these conversations now when we're middle-aged, you know, whereas growing up, you might not have felt comfortable telling somebody how you were feeling. Uh, so Suchita, to your point on the kind of stories we got, we actually got uh, stories uh, about, uh, we had to kind of think through how to do this, right? Because it's one of those mm-hmm. um the challenge is to have a narrative where the lived experience is at the center of it and you're not doing too much editing, right? You want to kind of let yes. people come out mm. as they, um, mm. as authentically as they can. And mm. we don't want to be also prescriptive because everyone's journey is so different. Uh, but, at, you know, at some level, uh, Arpita Anand, the psychologist who co-authored this with me and I were, were talking about, we also don't want this to be uh, and for lack of a better word, using depressing in the colloquial sense, you know, we we wanted this these stories to show people who, who had reached somewhere in their journey that they could look back and say, look, things are going to get better. And mm. that is not a, I wouldn't want to call that an artificial filter, but it obviously means that you can uh, talk to people who are have reached that place in their journey or they've, you know, been through therapy um, or, you know, taken medication or have felt comfortable enough in that uh, sort of process 
that they want to share what's and all. So I'm not saying that, you know, there was any sort of rosy, <laughs> there's some very mm-hmm. difficult things to read about. Uh, and I have had, you know, some of the contributors' families, uh, you know, it was different when it was in the book, but then when a newspaper carried an excerpt, it meant something else, right? Because all of a sudden they were like, oh my God, you know, we, we didn't realize what you were going through. Um, but also, you mm-hmm. know, one of the contributors, we have a section on say, uh, on motherhood. So, you know, talking about postpartum depression mm-hmm. um, and issues that we don't always associate necessarily with an Indian narrative. And mm. um, I think that for me, with, with the website, it's always been important to have that filter because most of what we get and absorb is, you know, either stories in the US or, you know, Europe or, you know, like it, we, we tend to not have seen. Uh, and again, this is changing over the past few years since I set the site up. Um, it's we haven't seen as many stories through an Indian filter or Indian lens. So for me, it was mm. important. I think um, I will say Anand Zanane's story about uh, when he came out, uh, you know, as gay and the pressure he felt not to actually be his mm. authentic self, even in uh, the media, which prides itself on being so progressive, you know, that was mm. eye opening to me, the kind of, uh, you know, environments we all sort of create together without thinking. Um, mm. And I, I'm not, I think that it was on the site, we had used a comic that a contributor had shared, uh, something that made her really angry, we made a comic out of it, a sort of, which always comes back to me, um, which was talking about the kind of ways we use, you know, galis, right, when we say psycho, mm. It's all, mm. and and it really put into sharp sharp focus for me what each one of us can do we might not want to all go and read this book and then you know we might not all want to delve so deep into depression or anxiety but each one of us can be more mindful about how we speak and more empathetic you know and and just the fact that you know that say one in four people in the world is going to have an issue uh, to do with mental health right in their lifetime yes. it, it should make us a little bit more um, mindful about how we speak uh, I've learned a lot more about sort of empathetic listening than I would know uh, not definitely as I said not a therapist not perfect at it but I think we can all do better you know so that people feel comfortable sharing uh, with us and um, yeah I think that, that that's been quite the journey even as somebody putting these stories together. Absolutely. And uh, and uh, coming to your next book, which is coming out, Young Mental Health, uh, what do you think the state is right now when it comes to young? So, yeah, so this is, uh, so Young Mental Health, I, I think I learned a lot from the first process um, with the first book. And one of the things was just to laugh at my own self because I thought, yeah, it'll be easy. <laughs> I've written books before. How hard can it be? <laughs> I thought it would be half as uh, tough because I have a co-author. <laughs> but yeah. it's, um, it, it's really, that was very, very delusional of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was, for me, the young mental health, uh, the, the book, what has really come together is, again, through our interviews, um, we've worked with, uh, we've actually done a few interviews with a couple of uh, students as well who are sort of mental health advocates, you know, um, mm. uh, after reaching out through uh, some of the psychiatrists. But we have been really careful, again, the ethics of this. So I haven't actually interviewed uh, anyone below 18 about um, living with a mental illness because I, you know, I don't think it's, I, I realize how difficult mm. it is to do even as yes. an adult, right? Mm. And we have yeah. to be a little yeah. careful. But we have spoken to people about what it felt like. So, you know, somebody who's a young adult. Um, mm. So we have this, uh, this this wonderful you know f- former student from IIT who was uh, uh, instrumental in fighting one of the cases um, in the Delhi High Court about um, uh, sort of decriminalizing if you remember the the landmark case right uh, the mm-hmm. LGBT rights yes, case yes yeah uh, so Anvesh who I think you know for many of us so middle class India the IIT dream is the dream right so for, so yes. to read his story about what it was like the pressure and how his journey went that's been very moving. 
uh, you know, there is again a trigger warning in the book. There is suicidal ideation. Uh, we had no idea how how dangerous and how um, you know Dr. Amit Sen writes in his forward that suicide is the number one cause of death for young people between the ages of 15 and 29. You know, so we've we've attributed all of the facts we've put in, but we've also tried to be very clear about why should we worry about young mental health. And one of the one of the things that came out was the most common issues that that crop up from people who've been serving this is you know the young young people are worried about issues like depression anxiety and stress bullying mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. suicidal mm-hmm. ideation is a concern self harm is a concern body image and eating disorders is a concern so we had to put this book together in a very sensitive way um and i've used again first person accounts even through comics um you know there's somebody called ishita who uh, is on instagram as violet hill i was telling you about um mm-hmm. and she's done with you know sangat and it's okay to talk and um she's got a couple of comics in there uh, one of our long time contributors solo who does a comic strip on the site about having a uh, borderline personality disorder uh, she's got a couple of comics in there so you know whichever however we can um share first person stories and and have it there in front of readers for people to think about we've we've put it but we haven't written the book in a way that's a lecture because i don't think anyone responds to lectures and it's not very helpful to say you know you should have done this and you should know that um what's more helpful is sometimes to say think about this or look at this and even reading a first person story and i'd love to know again what you think because mm. for me it's very powerful to read what somebody's gone through uh, you know it hits home in a way that and stays with me in a way that maybe just an article doesn't you know so sure um I'd love to know if that, what you think we must send you a copy of the book as it comes uh, out and you can let us absolutely, know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amrita so so what do you think like because you have met all these young uh, you know guys who have sh- who have shared their stories what do you think is actually the mental health heading uh, in India? uh do you see a trigger warning do you see that no we are very much under control in terms of understanding it and tackling it the young the young mental health you know i think some of these interviews i should be i should be clear a lot of them are done also virtually or on the phone and email i should be clear mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. um and i i i've done a, a couple of interviews where i have to be very careful that i am like the third party observer mm-hmm. right so i'm yes. not actually on the ground and i think that our yes. first responders and our, the folks who are doing the grassroots work are probably best mm-hmm. place to speak about this mm-hmm. i was um, we had done an interview with dr sen years and years ago where he, he brought to our attention and this is when i was at a news channel that you know a lot of times when we talk about young mental health the only thing we talk about is exam stress you know and mm. of course we mm. put a small little section in there on tips to deal with exam stress in this book but mm. what was coming out was that when these counselors are getting you know parents are bringing in kids who, to talk about exam stress basically right and the kids yeah. are actually opening up at all kinds of things which have to do with relationships you know yeah. which have to do with like they're in physical relationships at the age of 12 or 13 and their parents have no idea but and there's so yeah. much peer pressure or there's bullying you know mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they're dealing with you know there's a kid coming in saying do i'm just so scared i'm pregnant because i kissed a, a boy and i think that we're just so blind because we're so uncomfortable society mm-hmm. to talk about these right totally. about totally. we don't like the idea of sex education we don't like the idea of talking about what can mm-hmm. go wrong or, mm-hmm. um i think we have a long way to go and again i haven't even scratched the surface so i think with both books and with the site i'm always uh mindful that we need to be more inclusive we need to figure out and this comes back to my sort of resources constraints as well you know but we need to push for more um stories from across the country that are more representative um mm-hmm. so the health collective and india spend for example we we discussed and we are setting up a fellowship on reporting that you know from north south east west india this was pre covid 19 so there's some changes mm-hmm. obviously 
But we really want to um, see how we can get stakeholders together to uh, invest in just telling those stories. And I think each of us has a core strength and we can play to that. So I can't pretend to be, you know, a therapist or a counselor. Mm -hmm. I can tell you to learn from my interviews. And mm -hmm. one of the one of those things is that yes, we're not listening to uh, what young people are talking, what's saying. Mm -hmm. We're kind of projecting mm -hmm. on them what we think they're, you know, worried about. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what's happening in government schools, Suchita? I, I can't even mm -hmm. begin to tell you, right? Or mm -hmm. like you said, mm -hmm. I don't even have the I don't have the landscape mapped at all. But I, that's where mm -hmm. I think we need to be looking because we know that uh, mental health experts are disproportionately present, even in their small numbers. They're present in the big cities, right? Because that's where the business. Yeah or whatever it is that's where the business is yes yeah. so it's coming to that point as well but before that, i just want to add this a bit you know in terms of young mental health what i see in cities at least in mumbai and delhi is also a lot of dependency on substance uh you know weed uh, i see a lot of them getting into it uh which is very surprising because how come their parents are not aware about it and why are they getting into it maybe there is a lack of a support somewhere so, uh, you know, that that's one thing I sort of and that might definitely impact them in the longer run, because I mean, what, they're 12, 13, 15 years old, you know, and already dependent on a substance. So, I mean, that that's one point. So, Amrita, just uh, coming to that's where the business is, the line which you just said, straying away a bit from your book and uh, your website and what are you doing on mental health, uh, being in Delhi and because I'm also from Delhi. What do you think is your analysis or understanding of the kind of infrastructure that we have on mental health? Uh, that's A. And B, I, I wanted your perspective in terms of the kind of impact that, of course, we are all doing our bit, you know, to create more awareness. But what do you think is the kind of impact that that's needed to not just change, but transform uh, situations and things and people and the culture? You're asking me very tough questions. <laughs> like, I, I, I wish I had a... I, you no, I'm you're a journalist, man. <laughs> yeah, you have all the answers. <laughs> no, no, no. I like asking the questions. Remember that <laughs> as a journalist, I prefer asking the questions. Um, but, you know, no, you've hit on a... <laughs> but, you know, you've, 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 you've hit the sort of, uh, you know, nail on the head because I think if we look at just the facts, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, there's two parts to this. One is the, the facts are we don't have enough train mental health experts in the country that's that is indisputable uh, there are there are very sort of important and you know very qualified mental health experts who are working on this problem i think and uh, you yeah. know they're coming to the importance of a psychosocial uh, model that's more inclusive right and that also works with the the idea of sort of training uh, peer counselors anganwadi workers different pilots are going on we've done an interview with uh, dr vikram Vikram Patel, which was quite uh, illuminating, and I'd love to direct your uh, listeners to that if they want to check it out. Um, the issue is also that it comes down to each one of us, you know. So, as somebody who's you know has been collating some of these numbers and resources, I will say when people reach out to me, sometimes I'm also stuck, you know. Even when we created this list for Delhi, I had very well-known psychiatrists saying that it's it's fine and it's so lovely that you're doing this, but do you know that we have a three to four month waiting list, you know? So it's quite, yeah. you know, it's quite shocking for me to say, oh, look, you can go to the trouble to try and vouch for someone, but how do you actually help when, you know, it's the, the problem is, you know, the sort of supply demand issue is uh, so skewed. And I think things like what this is doing with iCall or where people are funding 24 hour helplines, this is one way where you can mitigate some of the challenges, right? Because, uh, you know, these helplines, at least you can reach out to somebody and, and get a sense of where you should go or get a reference from somebody. Uh, mm. But I, I think we have a, a larger problem, which is, so there's an infrastructure problem. There is a lack of access to resources, but there's also a problem of sort of ignorance and attitude 
And that's when mm. I come back to it's each one of us, you know. Mm. So when you're talking about addiction or substance abuse, mm. if each one of us examines our attitudes very honestly, mm. I think we'll we'll find some uncomfortable truths, right? And and that's mm. where I feel like educating ourselves and you know trying to put as many stories out there is my attempt as a journalist maybe to you know add yeah. to the conversation that's going on because so how many of us have had you know f- uh, folks talking about druggies or junkies or you know in a very mm-hmm. dismissive yes. way right? i mean yeah. these are people who are going to reach out to you for help or when they're desperate right yeah. i mean they're not going to find you empathetic so you know i think we have to also learn to change our attitudes and mm-hmm. recognize before somebody comes to that crisis point where we absolutely 100% need to get them professional help there are many many uh, you know calls for help along the way before that which have been missed and it, it's yes. it's not about blame game or you know pointing a finger but each one mm-hmm. of us can ourselves more you know um, you know for whether it is children with bullying right or uh, self harm or abuse uh, substance abuse um i think that's where um, like again i'm going to come back to the idea of a collective uh, because mm-hmm. i think you know it's for the therapists to do what they do it's for the mental health experts to train and and uh, suchita a lot of people are doing sort of you know obviously telecounseling and skype counseling and stuff now right because of the lockdown mm-hmm. but there are also folks who are doing short courses um, you know that i think could be helpful for people to learn more so maybe we can educate ourselves more and that's mm-hmm. one way to collectively make a difference mm-hmm. um, and you know there are short courses that you know people can look at sort of online even um and i and again i mean that dr patel's interview a few years ago was i thought he just basically told me at at one point in the interview that each one of us is the guardian of our own mental health and we need to take that very seriously you know and and mm-hmm. with that comes the responsibility to equip ourselves with knowledge to help and i think again making the distinction between mental health and mental illness is important so all of us have mental health as he pointed out and many experts keep uh, talking about right mental illness yes. is a different thing that affects many many of us but let's just remind mm-hmm. ourselves that we're all invested in this because we all have mental health totally and amrita uh, coming back to the word business uh, do you feel that uh, now of course business is an important part everybody needs to survive when they are in any sector but when it comes to mental health do you feel uh, when i talk about uh, delhi specifically do you think the emphasis uh, lays more on the quality of help that people are getting when it comes to mental illness is skewed towards money yeah that's a really good question and i think mm-hmm. i've been hearing from people that it's it's it can be quite unaffordable you know this is very unaffordable yes right yeah even yes. therapy medication if you look at the costs um i think with the community we've seen online a lot of uh, move to figure out or track whether and i think you know thanks to the um sort of mental health care act right the landmark act a yes. few years ago that mm. it is and the and the ruling to insurance companies that they have to include uh, medication and stuff into insurance like that's something i want to follow up on because it would mm. it would mean a lot of it's actually being uh, you know in practice it's something that people are able to access uh, mm. i think that uh, yeah the, it is a, pr- a good private uh, mental health sort of expert or talk therapist in delhi in mumbai south delhi south mumbai let's take as yeah. <laughs> you know cliches yeah. but you know that i mean if if you you're charging 4000 6000 rupees an hour yes, right yes, uh, but yes. but tell me something even if you're charging 2500 which seems reasonable right but it's mm-hmm. not affordable to a, is it as affordable to a student is it affordable to somebody who has to it's go not. twice a month mm-hmm. right so yeah. there is a model i mean i i like and we've interviewed paras sharma who tweets as wise donkey <laughs> he's mm-hmm. a co-founder <laughs> of the alternative story in bangalore mm-hmm. they're in bangalore and mumbai i think as of now they have mm-hmm. a pay as you go model which i think is phenomenal and he said it worked out as a business model because they decided that it, it ends up some of the more expensive sessions subsidize uh, so that you know you can even pay 100 rupees 
uh, and go for therapy, you know, and I think that's a, that's a sensible model because you can reach more people. Um, and I think that you're seeing some of the younger practitioners that I'm hearing from are very sensitive to the issue of pricing and cost, yes. but it's still a barrier, very much a barrier. Yeah. yeah. Also, you know, I feel I don't know why I specifically feel this towards Delhi, you know, because, you know, how can a middle class afford, for example, a seven thousand an hour? It's mm-hmm. uh, it's 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 very 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 difficult, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. did, did you guys, uh, you know, as a for as a uh, as someone well, working in the mental health field, think we if we could possibly tackle this? Just you know, talk to the private practitioners that why is the cost to, uh, so high? Is it because, you know, uh, because of course it's a challenging profession mental illness dealing with someone mentally on a day-to-day basis but still you know there has to be a cap or uh, cap on it you know this is because if like for example if if an airline starts charging bombay delhi 30000 of one way mm-hmm. because right now they can afford to do that because we are in a crisis so then you know everybody's going to suffer you know that that would be like pleasing people yeah so, yeah so i've heard that you know it's it i think it's a good point because i think that some experts say they have a sliding scale um, I, I think you hear a different, maybe a different point of view when you're, you know, reporting on something and obviously you'll hear a better version perhaps. Mm, yeah. um, but you know, from, from even from friends who've gone in and said somebody had a sliding scale, but they sort of figured that she could afford 4,000 rupees. So they said that it's 4,000 rupees and she didn't go back for therapy after that because she couldn't afford it. And it was, yes. it was a shock to the system, you know? So I think these yeah. things need to be much more transparent and upfront. Um, I think the challenge is that the supply demand uh, situation is so imbalanced, but mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if folks are doing sliding scales, I think that's fair. Uh, people can afford whoever can afford the higher end of the spectrum can pay and uh, there should be some guarantees for those who can't afford, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and there should be good quality uh, sort of trained uh, resources for those even at the lower end of the spectrum. But I don't see this changing overnight, you know, and, and one of the challenges I think that I've realized also is when you try to scale suggestions, I mean, one on one, people are very open to listening to and, and very reasonable, right? But for example, yeah. when we this thing, I mean, we had to obviously put in a legal liability disclaimer at some point because it's it's a very complicated business and i think that the, the sort of sensitivity of you know if it's if i have a group of friends say five to ten friends i might be able to recommend one person i know of or you might be able to recommend mm-hmm. so between us maybe we have two or three good recommendations right mm-hmm. but as soon as you scale that model it's not possible to have personal recommendations it's not possible to have personal connects to all of the experts right and i yes. think that um, that's a big challenge as well because you know i you hear quite uh, frankly quite sad stories about what happens when, you know, things go wrong in therapy. So, you know, we, we also commissioned a series on um, tips from therapists for people to know what your rights are, you know, like you should feel comfortable, what, you know, where, where do you draw the line? Uh, how do you know if you're compatible and those kind of things? Mm, sure. And Amrita, what is the kind of impact that you wish to generate from the book that's coming out, Young Mental Health? You know, my thinking has actually changed in the last few years, to be very mm-hmm. honest with you. I don't think I've articulated this before in public, but... I have, um, you know, earlier I was really all about the 100,000 uniques and we have an audience and this is so important. And, you know, getting into that spirit of like scalable impact, you know, Mm. and I slowly realized that I actually find that a bit devaluing because, you know, even if one Mm. person reads it and gets some sort of solace or uh, figures out a way forward or, you know, gets some sort of help, that's actually that's actually a really strong impact for me, you know, and it, it's, mm. it comes back to why I used to love being a journalist earlier. You know, you, 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 I think you start being a journalist, think you're going to change the world. And then mm. you realize that if you change in the process and you, in, mm. you know, influence one or two people or change their lives for the better, um, mm. that's a huge thing. So I have become much more, um, 
I, I think humility has come along the way also because of the fact mm. that, uh, and to be honest with you, like it's not like our <laughs> print runs and books sell that much in this country anyway. So it's not like mm. with a book I would expect to reach 10,000 people. No. But mm. every time somebody writes back, even on the site, um, yes. or right back after reading a story on the site or that they've read, read a few stories of the book and they say it's changed something or they feel heard or like someone you know just wrote to say I feel like I have uh, solidarity finally you know I have a community yeah. that I think was very very moving and it was enough reason to keep the website going despite as I told you <laughs> not having a very viable business model you know but it's yes. it think of having a community and having a, a, a trusted source uh, of stories and information and original uh, reporting Totally. And Amrita, I've always felt this uh, over the years, uh, over the at least five, six years uh, that I've been, you know, un- trying to understand mental health, that, you know, the person that's going through a mental illness, uh, also the people who are the caregivers, they feel extremely alone in the process. You know, they, they yeah. feel that there is nobody to reach out to, nobody who can help them, nobody who can tackle their problems, which is also, which can lead to a lot of suicidal tendencies. Uh, so as as someone who is deeply involved in mental health, what do you suggest that we as a society can come together to uh, tackle this personal issue of people? Yeah, you know, I mean, so we, we actually, it's going on four years. We have about 300 mm. stories on the site. And this is like, you mm. know, the, the, the culminating work of obviously four or five of us who do it quite dedicatedly and all of the yeah. experts who we credit on the site. So it's mm. maybe 10, 15, you could say maximum 20 people you know the mm. reason we have 300 stories is some of them share uh, you know frequently or we've got somebody who wrote once about mm. you know for example using a bullet journal to deal with anxiety not being prescriptive about it we you know somebody wrote in once to uh, talk about what it was like to live with schizophrenia and be in business you know um mm. in, in the book we actually wrote about um, we had a contribution from someone on being a caregiver and what it means in the book on depression i mean so mm. i think that um it it is important. It's important enough that we're having this conversation, you know, to be honest, Suchita. So I, I'm, yeah. really, I'm very grateful for your podcast because I think we can all learn. And, you know, mm. it might not be me going through something right now, but if I'm listening closely enough or I'm reading these stories, I might be able to see that, look, I become an ally, right? It, it, it doesn't have yeah. to always be you don't have to put always the pressure on yourself. We started a campaign, you know, this not alone um, sort of as a hashtag mm. campaign, mm. but it could be mm. a little bit more than lip service because I think mm. that um, we want people to know they're not alone. And I think sometimes the, the challenges, especially when you're younger or people don't talk about mental illness, are uh, the mm. challenges you feel that you are, like you said, completely alone, isolated, nobody yeah. gets. But every time we have a story out there where somebody has put it down in words or, you know, even an audio or uh, I think rarely video, but audio or words, Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else feels like, look, this person is going through something almost exactly like I'm going through and they got through it. That's really powerful and that's really important. Absolutely. And do, do you think the government needs to up its stake in mental health? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think that, you know, I was looking at this, uh, a couple of campaigns, including by the Mariwala Foundation, um, mm, yeah. right? Dr. Patare and the Center for Mental Health Law and Policy. Yeah. In Pune, they, uh, the Bridge the Gap campaign, I think it was last year, or the year before, last year before elections, mm. um, where they were basically saying it needs to be part of, uh, you know, a, a agenda for policymakers. Um, and we, and I think that's, again, where people can play a role, right? I mean, you need to make it a part of an agenda that's, that's broader. I think broadly health is until this kind of cri- massive crisis, um, not really top of people's minds, let alone mental health. But yeah, we need to be pushing for systemic change. We need to be pushing for um, policymakers to pay attention. And again, if this is not, one person can't do everything, but I think we can all play to our strengths in creating that kind of 
uh, change that we want to see hopefully in our lifetimes <laughs> yeah sure thank yeah. you so much amrita thank you so much for all your uh, experience your knowledge and i uh, wish you all the best for the new book that's coming out and i'm going to grab the copy asap as soon as i get it <laughs> thank you so much and thanks for the podcast that you're doing sure so that's that guys uh, do check out the book young mental health uh, that is coming in the market tell us what you think about it also tell us what you think about uh, the other uh, topics of discussion for today that was the infrastructure of mental health and also the cost of mental health when it comes to public and private practices and you of course know where to find us which is on our website eplogmedia/csos/show and you can also find us on our twitter and instagram handles which is eplogmedia and metaphysical lab and you can also find me on my linkedin id so take good care of yourself uh, and do not forget to go on apple and give us that rating this is suchita signing off